This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey baddies. Hey, it's Elizabeth and Alex. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Welcome. If this is your first time listening to the show, Alex and I are estheticians in Brooklyn, New York, and we get to see you here every Friday to teach you everything that we know about beauty and skincare while learning a thing or two from our friends and guest experts that come to hang. And today we're speaking with an incredible artist, an activist. She's also a fashion designer, Karina Emmerich, and she's the owner of Emmy Studios. Emmy Studios is a New York-based clothing and accessory brand that Karina built in Brooklyn, which we love because we live in Brooklyn. She built it on the backbone of expression, art, and culture, leading the charge to embrace art and design as one and weaving it into her brand history. Uh, Originally from the Pacific Northwest, her colorful work is known to reflect her patrilineal indigenous heritage from the Coast Salish Territory, Poyallup tribe, with a strong focus on social and climate justice while speaking out about industry responsibility and accountability. Emmerich works to expose and dismantle systems of oppression and exploitation in the fashion industry to challenge colonial ways of thinking. And boy, does she do that. You all are going to fucking love her. Yeah, she's incredible. She's a special advisor for the Slow Factory Foundation and is a speaker and panelist at global conferences discussing slow fashion, sustainability, dismantling white supremacy, environmental racism, climate and social justice. She just does it all. She also works as a community (laughs) organizer within the Brooklyn based Indigenous Kinship Collective, a community of indigenous women, femmes and gender nonconforming people who gather on Lenape land to honor each other and their relatives through art direct action, education, and representation. And everything that she represents, she does it to the max. And I respect her so much for it. Yeah, I think that this is a really beautiful example of somebody who lives their truth and is so powerfully herself and really just takes who she is and weaves it into all aspects of, you know, the gifts that she gives to the world and all of these different creative endeavors. And I, mm-hmm. I've i been honestly admiring um, Karina from afar on the internets for like forever. And I just thought that she was such a dope woman who's after my own heart. Y'all know that I love bitches who just know who the fuck they are and know what they want in life and are out there getting it. And she's not only a fashion designer, but she is a incredible fashion designer that's really, you know, starting to get the attention of everybody in the fashion world. She was included in the Met at the Metropolitan Museum of Art for their exhibition called Fashion and American Lexicon. So that was running all of this past year. And in it, they included all of the quote unquote great fashion designers of America. And she was the only indigenous designer that was included. But also she was included at the Met. That's incredible. I know a mm-hmm. lot of really talented artists and I don't know anybody who's ever been in the Met. So that's fucking dope. Um, not only that, but she also took her time 
you know, her moment in the Met, not just to show up, but to fucking show up. And the uh, outfit that she chose to show really represented, yes, her indigenous culture, but also the genocide of her people and the aspects of colonization that is uncomfortable, but needs to be spoken about. So to be able to do all of those things within one piece of garment and then share that with the world is such an incredible thing. And then she comes and like told us all about it. Yeah, she's no, fucking she's dope as shit. Really awesome. And you know, this is like yes, this is one of our episodes that's going to be a little bit heavier. But I just think that in the time where it's so easy to follow, it's so easy to just go online and follow these different trends, and it's really difficult to be yourself. But the most beautiful things come from self-expression. The most beautiful things and the most interesting things. And the way to be a leader is to be yourself. And I mean, I love fashion. I think that I talk about it any moment that anybody will listen. And that's one of the reasons that I love it is that the expressionism and the individuality within ways of dress is awesome. And that's why we had this episode, because we're here for big upping y'all in every way that we can and really expressing how important it is to be your own self, to be beautiful in your own fucking way. And through wardrobe is one of the incredible ways that you can do it. And if we can tie in some social justice, bitch, you know, we're going to do that. And so we did it. I love that. I love what you just said. (laughs) But she deserves all of that. Like she really... We interview a lot of cool people. She is very, definitely up there. Definitely fucking up there. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, guys, please, our beauty baddies, enjoy our conversation with the fucking incredible Karina Emmerich, the owner of MA Studios. Enjoy. Enjoy, guys. I'm actually going to introduce myself in Lushutzid, um, which is our language. So, hot shlakheo, twa gwalapu gwalapu da yishan, deseyayaya chalap, Karina Emmerich Tidstat, spoyala pops chen, Frank Emmerich Tidstat a tidbad, spoyala pops tidbad, Deborah Morris Tidstat a tidskoy, pasta tidskoy, asasheo alto lenape hoking. Um, so I just wanted to introduce myself in, uh, Lushutzid, uh, and I'll translate it. My name is Karina Emmerich. I am, uh, Puyallup. My father is Frank Emmerich, who is Puyallup, and my mom is Deborah Morris, who is white. Um, and I currently live in Lenape Hoking, also, uh, recognized as New York City. And it's just really important for me to introduce myself in my language because that's something that was taken away from us and outlawed and that our people were killed for. So, um, as you may know, I'm a big fan of, uh, insubordination. So I love speaking my language on public platforms to just prove that it is not dead and that we're bringing it back. Thank you for introducing yourself in your native language. And that was so beautiful. Thank you so much. It really was. Thanks. I'm also an artist and a fashion designer. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, who are you? Tell us more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now we're really intrigued. Um, so I am indigenous uh, uh, on my father's side. On my mother's side, I'm white. Um, so I'm mixed and uh, I am an artist and fashion designer. I, uh, I'm i also a community organizer, maker, thinker, critical analyst, Um I usually say that my work exists at the center of aesthetics and education. Um, But, you know, fashion is my medium. um, And so I think that's what I'm most well known for. Um, Yeah, so I run a a company called Emmy Studio. um, And we are actually gearing up for New York Fashion Week right now after presenting two shows, one in Toronto at Indigenous Fashion Arts Festival and one at um, the Santa Fe Indian Market at their Centennial Gala event. So uh, it's been really busy uh, for us Indigenous designers, but uh, that's a really good thing. Yes, that's incredible. I wasn't aware of the other Indigenous uh, fashion weeks that had been going on. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, the first one I did in June is run by Sage Paul, who's just a complete powerhouse um, native uh, matriarch that's like so dope. And she runs Indigenous Fashion Arts, which is an all-encompassing panel events, uh, fashion shows, art shows, um, all different things, music. Um, It's becoming an absolutely incredible event up in Toronto, Canada. 
And um, the other one is Santa Fe Indian Market. So we just celebrated the centennial. So it's 100 years of the Santa Fe Indian Market um, down in Santa Fe. And uh, it's one of the biggest vendor markets. Um, and the fashion show has been going on for a few years now and has become the uh, most popular event of the entire market weekend. Um, so it's been, uh, yeah, it's just so incredible to get invited. It's such an honor to be invited to these things to show my work. I think that also our friend from Ashi Beauty was there. Oh yeah. We worked together before. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah, She's incredible. I love her. (laughs) The best. Uh, yeah, we have a pretty small community, so we're all really tight. (laughs) Yes. I love, I think actually we're going to have her back on our show next month. I think she's going to be back in New York. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. So, um, I found out about you because, well, actually I first learned about you, I think through the slow factory. And then, um, for some reason you started following us on Instagram and I felt so seen. I was like, Oh my God, is this mean that we're like making it this really fucking dope? I feel like I remember you telling us. Me. <laughs> yeah, I did. So <laughs> yeah. Um, but also because, you know, I love fashion. I love makers. I love creators. I love women who are just doing things and who are not afraid, who are unapologetic and who are also able to weave social justice through their work. And I see all of that in you. So I love, love, love that. But also you were included in the Mets, um, the Mets exhibit American Lexicon. Yeah. In America, Lexicon of Fashion is the title of the exhibit. Yes. And this was one is it was one of the longest running fashion exhibits at the Met, I think, ever. But two is they really highlighted the great American fashion designers of our time, yourself included, which is huge, huge. If people don't know what the Met is, the Met is the Metropolitan (laughs) Museum of Art in New York City. It's one of the greatest art institutions of our nation, of the world, really. And I just think that that's so incredible that you were included in that. Would you can you kind of Talk to us a little bit about what that looks like for you and the garment specifically that you uh, included in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it was a really shocking ask. I got an email. Um, it was actually on my birthday, which is so funny. Um, awesome. I got an email from the Met uh, asking to pull a piece that I had online, which was a piece that I had designed um, from uh kind of a knockoff of the Hudson Bay Company fabrics. Um, So it's a wool, it's a complete polychrome wool piece. Um, I work really, really focused in sustainability. So that's one of the reasons that the piece was pulled specifically for this um, show. Um, Also to kind of spotlight my familial heritage with the Hudson Bay Company and that impact on um, America and, well, North American colonialism. Um, So... The piece I just I had in was a jacket and skirt combo. Um, I had a red button sewn as the bottom button to just symbolize, um, you know, all the violence that was perpetuated by the Hudson's Bay Company. Uh, my four times uh, grandfather, great grandfather was a canoe middleman for the Hudson's Bay Company. Um, so it's the reason that my family ended up coming from the East Coast to the West Coast four generations ago where my family still resides today. And I find it very interesting that I am comfortable here on the East Coast now. I've been living in New York for 13 years. So yeah, the piece was basically just to spotlight the, you know, colonial violence at the Hudson's Bay Company um, mm-hmm. and also spotlight my mission in sustainability. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was like still shocking. The show just closed too. So it's yeah. wild. Just so the listeners have an idea, can you talk to us a little bit about the the Hudson's Bay Company and what their impact was in colonization. Yeah, Hudson's Bay Company was the biggest perpetuator of exploitation of labor amongst indigenous people, uh, as well as colonialism um, and just colonial violence across a lot of nations. Uh, They also just basically did a land grab and stole indigenous land and gave it to the crown. So it's a really, really... Can I curse on here? Of course. Of course. Yes. Okay. We encourage okay. cursing. <laughs> okay. I, t- I usually curse. So 
It's a really fucked up history. And um, they also just uh, monopolized like the majority of the supplies. They would exploit trade at the forts as well. Like, uh, you know, a European dude could go in and get like a gun for like three pelts where like an indigenous person would come in on their own land and they would charge them like three times as much or like 300 times as much depending on how mm. they wanted to so they were completely in control um they basically just like changed the entire landscape uh through decimating our animal populations uh, mm. in my area where Jesus. where my people are from we uh mink is a big part of our creation story and there are no more mink in our area um mm. And this is all because of, of colonialism. It's an ongoing thing. It's not something that happened way back then. I think it's it needs to be known that uh, we are currently fighting occupation every single day. So that's like a big part of like what I try to talk about in the fashion industry. And I would love to write like a book one day about the impacts of colonialism and fashion mm-hmm. from my family's perspective. Um I think that's something that I will do one day. So then, so stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I love this. And especially, you know, we learn a lot about the industrial revolution in this country, but we don't really learn so much about like all of the things that led up to that, specifically the fur trade and within fashion. Well, specifically within my own fashion history studies, we did learn about that. And this is how so many of these big names, like the Astors, the Waldorfs, these Mm. huge uh, names before the oil boom was really in fur trapping in this country. Soft gold is what they would call it. Oh, really? (laughs) What's uh, the movie? What's the Leonardo DiCaprio movie? The Revenant. Revenant. Oh, yeah. So The Revenant, it's interesting to me that that movie was really sold on Leonardo DiCaprio fights a bear. But when you Mm -hmm. watch the film, it's really about the colonization and the industrialization of America seen through a white man's eyes. However, the white man, because he had a child with an indigenous person, in this case, the way that I saw it was supposed to be the indigenous person. But in watching that, the silent understory of how fur trapping, industrialization really fucked so many Native people. And also Mm -hmm. when you see the side stories and you see like these white men just like raping these women and just like the subtleties that to me, I was just like, this is what this movie is actually about. But you can't say that because that doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. You have to say that it's about this, you know, whatever. But that to me opened my eyes to um, the true and like beginnings of the industrialization in this in this country. And they even have these crazy imagery of like these mountains of skulls of like all the animals that they killed oh yeah that's like a very popular imagery when they completely decimated the buffalo population as well yes Uh, we're very proud of that (laughs) (laughs) they were very proud of it (laughs) yes yes so since we're talking about textiles i would love to speak with you a little bit more about the textiles that you choose to use and why because i learned so much on your website specifically about wool which Mm -hmm. i think is so dope and i would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your choice to use wool and your choice to work with um pendleton fabrics and all of like the incredible things that wool does for our environment yeah totally um yeah my the main uh fiber that i like to use in my work is wool um i think wool is like the most magical fiber um we also have traditional use for it i mean we used to uh make blankets from um wool dogs like wool and dogs are called salish wool dogs they're they're no longer alive um but it was just they were p- picking the hair off of them in order to weave these blankets they wouldn't like kill them and then yeah. we would collect mountain goat um wool also and in order mm-hmm. to make blankets from that which is really really time consuming which is why blankets have always been a symbol of um class because mm. it's something that was so, so, so time consuming. So blankets are a really popular part of like the visual culture. Um, and then when the Hudson's Bay Company came, it became um, more likely used in order to be traded or sold. Um, and it still was a status symbol, especially based on the dye batch that you would, that you would get or anything like that. So, 
So I I love the history of wool. I also grew up just like surrounded by wool blankets, um, which is like really common in most native houses. And, uh, you know, we would get wool blankets from like raffles at powwow or, you know, I was gifted my first blanket when I graduated high school, um, for my father gave me my, my first blanket. Um, so it's always something that is, um, you know, like traditionally important to us. Uh, so, so I really want to use, uh, wool in my designs, not only because of that significance, but also because wool is, uh, renewable and regenerative fiber. Um, and I use a lot of cradle to cradle fibers, um, which is my eco-wise wool, which I do get from the Pendleton woolen mills, um, on the Northwest. Um, so cradle to cradle is a product that remains like continuously uh, in circulation where there's no waste. So instead of just cradle to grave, it's a renewable fiber. So it continues instead of creating poison to the soil, it creates nutrients for the soil. Um, so that's something that is really important to me as a designer. I like to think about the pieces that I do as something from creation to biodegradation mm. um, and not just think about putting it on a celebrity or whatever, you know, or whatever this draw to like this fast fashion thing is. Um, so wool is also, um, let's see, I don't know. I did. It helps regulate the humidity. Um, it absorbs like a third of its own weight without feeling wet. It's really funny. If you put wool in plastic, uh, you'll open the plastic and it will be totally wet inside. It's like really gross. So I also don't ship with plastic. I only use brown paper. Mm. Um, mm. So let's see. It also promotes better air quality. It's better like a f- basically air filtration for your house. I don't wow. know. I think it's like the most magical fiber. And also we're not like decimating animals to use it. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Wait, and also wool, um, abs- does it absorb formaldehyde? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I would. <laughs> I, I know it. I know. I know it. I know it absorbs like contaminants in the air. I've but never I, heard that, but yeah. That I know that it like absorbs contaminants. So mm-hmm. sure. That's awesome. <laughs> well, do you know what's also interesting about that is, you know, I love hats and especially during the summer because I, I really don't do well in the heat at all. So I'm just constantly trying to figure out how to keep myself cool. And I didn't understand why felt hats like were a thing, like why people, especially in the South, would wear mm. like these felt wool hats. And this makes perfect sense because it actually pulls the the sweat off of you even though it feels kind of warm. Yeah, it wicks moisture. And then that's my favorite thing about wearing wool. I think it's really multi-seasonal, but also like in the, I'm like, I run hot. I run super hot. I'm from the Northwest. And so like this kind of humidity, I still, my body cannot get used to it. Um, But like wearing wool in the, in the wintertime, like, and especially with like a cotton um, lining, it's like the best feeling because you don't get all sweaty and gross and like trapped in your polyester jacket you know I hate polyester i hate polyester i, fucking I hate polyester more than anything i my goal in life is to have only like natural fibers on my body at some yeah. point because it's just it's uh, i yeah i run hot also i sweat a ton i'm just like always Ugh, clammy it makes, and so, it makes me stink exactly and then i realize like yeah when you you when i'm wearing more natural fibers it's like it's more breathable but then also like the stink doesn't stink to me also i can wash the stink out like <laughs> it's not yeah, all I, <laughs> tell us more I agree it's there's something about getting older that like I cannot wear synthetics it's mm-hmm. just like I mm-hmm. I ugh. yeah yeah they feel yeah. uncomfortable to me too now also I feel like I don't know polyester especially if it doesn't feel good on my skin if I look at the tag and anything if I'm buying something and it has polyester oh, in yeah. it, I refuse especially if it's over a hundred dollars bitch what am I paying for plastic sorry I get oh. very frustrated <laughs> yeah i saw uh oscar dale can i i don't know i don't mean a very high-end designer down <laughs> uh, i won't finish that but it was like eight thousand dollars and it was made from like nylon oh my god yeah it's wild i was just gonna say that i really love wool like i have a bunch of wool socks and it's yeah in the winter i found like if i wore thick socks that were of other material they would just be I don't know. My feet would feel sweaty. They would smell when I wear wool socks. They just, I don't know. They're perfect. They're never really sweaty. I feel like they don't really smell at the end of the day. I don't know. It's kind of life changing. I didn't start wearing wool socks until I was like in my thirties because I didn't know. 
I have to start making socks with that pitch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Okay. So speaking of you making making things, I this is one of the other reasons that I was really interested to speak with you is because we were talking with our producer about textiles and about weaving, and this kind of got me down the rabbit hole of just like like these ancient wefts and weaving and all of these things, and I didn't. And this is so stupid, but it's the year 2023 is I never thought about what it takes to take a piece of fiber from that and turn it into like an object of clothing. And so I imagine that weaving is a lot of your culture and your heritage also. And also, even when you're talking about blankets, like that blankets are this treasured thing that made sense. I was like, yeah, because they are taking the actual raw material turning it into something that can be woven, figuring out how to weave it and like creating this masterpiece. So I don't know, is any thoughts, <laughs> anything you'd like to speak about like that? <laughs> like specifically, I guess, about the importance of passing on traditions. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, that's really, it's really, it's so loaded to talk about that kind of stuff. I, I'm not, I'm not trained as like a traditional weaver at all. I would never um, speak to that in, in that way. Um, there are people in my tribe who live on the lands. Um, I obviously don't live in my homelands. Um, I'm a city girl. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I, it is really, really um, important in our cultures. It's something that was lost. Um, Oh no, we didn't lose it. No, it was taken away from us. Right, okay. right. There's that um, word. It was Stolen. it was taken. Yeah, it was <laughs> taken away. Um, and so now, uh, our generation right now, uh, it's so freaking cool to see it. Like people are bringing back their languages and like traditional teachings and all this stuff. And like I just did the Santa Fe Indian Market, uh, and I worked with my friend Tiffany Vanderhoop, who is a uh, Haida and Wampanoag. And she is uh, a jewelry designer who's bringing back uh, traditional weavings. And I got to sit with her and she talked to me a little bit about the way that they were bringing back the weavings, that they would really go to these like ancient textiles and deconstruct them in order to learn how they were weaving them originally. Wow. And so then that's like one way that is being learned and taught and passed down. Another way is like, um, I, I had the honor of working with Aileen Sparrow, whose mother is Deborah Sparrow, who are really important to Coast Salish weaving. Their family is like one of the biggest proponents of bringing back Coast Salish weaving, traditional Coast Salish weaving. So it's really coming back, you know, and it's so amazing to see all these like reinvigorations of these kinds of things that we can do now because, um, you know, it's like legal and we're not getting killed for it. So it's just really, really inspiring to see all the people who are working to bring back these traditions. It's so incredible because like I just said, you know, I kind of feel like this with my food also, like I'm privileged to enough to be so separated from like the act of actually like raising and killing my food than to like, you know, the chicken breast in the refrigerator that I have no concept of what that looks like. And it's the same thing with clothing. Like I really didn't even think like, yeah, how does this go from being cotton to being something that you can wear? You don't just iron it down and it like magically <laughs> becomes one. So one is like, thank you so much for doing the work to bring light to these things. But, you know, these are crafts. It's art. It's art. And art has so much wrapped in it. It has culture. It has stories. It has like who we are. It has like the earth. And it's so awesome that you and your uh, contemporaries are really working to like remind us and, and bring light. Not even remind us, tell us because we don't know. Yeah, it's so true. I really believe artists are storytellers. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. what the point is. <laughs> Yeah, 100%. Oh, it's so beautiful. I always loved, because I grew up on Long Island, we learn we learn a lot about different tribes, especially the ones who were present on Long Island. And I do feel mm -hmm. like, especially being from there, that we maybe learned about it more in school than other people did. Well, come to find out some people didn't learn at all, didn't even know that your people existed. Yeah, I think we had like one paragraph. Yeah, like that's insane. We did like whole, I feel like every year in elementary school, we had like a whole, I don't know, we'd have like a week about it. And which I appreciate, but just like, I don't know, obviously so much was left out and it makes me sad. Yeah, a week. <laughs> yeah, a week. A week. When I start to think about history, right? We think about history and all we know is European history. But mm -hmm. there are thousands of years before that. Like when we're talking about, mm -hmm. you know, like medieval history or, or, um, Whatever, anything from medieval history to current times is really modern history. The United States wasn't even, quote unquote, discovered then, which means that there were people that were here for hundreds, for thousands of years that had their own history, that had their own languages, that had so much culture that 
we know nothing about. We just know from like yesterday. And mm-hmm. that is why I'm telling you things that you already know, Karina. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's just like I sort of just like came to this realization, you know, like the great awakening, yeah. right? Like all of us waking up and being like, wait, we were all taught this bullshit. But there's so much more because when you look around, especially in New York, when I look around, I don't just see white faces. I don't just see bodies that look the same as mine. I see like every rainbow. I see so many different bodies, so many different faces. And we all fucking came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So like where? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. we only found we only heard about one, please. Yeah, I love geez, I, I love New York so much. And I tell my family this. I'm like, my favorite thing is that I'll walk down the street and rarely hear English. Mm-hmm. Like. And I just, I, I feel like I live, I live in Flatbush. I feel like I live in a utopia, Mm. you know, like everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Everybody just like, we're we're all just like waving at each other. It's like a family neighborhood, you know? Yeah. And like, I, I, I just, I love it so much. And that's one thing that I think was really important for me to get away from the Northwest, um, and come here is that I learned so much about so many different people and about different ways of living and, and just like really, really learning to like accept and acknowledge people, um, you know, it's like, I don't have to know everything. I don't, I don't need to, but just for us to live together and, and support each other is so important as a community, even in as diverse of a community as Brooklyn. And those are kind of the teachings that you can take back home later in life too, you know? Totally. Well, I love our city. I love our city. And I love that you're in Flatbush. I was like, neighbors, hey, I'm definitely coming to the studio soon. Okay. Will you speak a little bit on like some of the barriers to entry into the fashion industry for other minorities? Because something that is really incredible to me is like there's one thing to make clothes and there's another thing to be a fashion designer. And there's another thing to be accepted within the greater fashion design community to be accepted within, you know, the uh, the fashion. What is it? The fashion FD FDC CFDA. CFDA, thank you. <laughs> Fucking letters. F- we're going to say the FDIC. <laughs> I didn't even know. The CFDA. Like, these are three different levels of, like, quote-unquote making it. And I, I'm just so inspired that you are at, like, the top level of, you know, like, fast, true fashion as an art form within this country. You're making a face, but, girl, you are at the Met. You're <laughs> in the cut. Like, you are presenting in fashion week. a big week. fucking like, deal. These are huge deals. This is incredible. And I was like, this bitch is one year older than me. And, and also, you're doing it on your own terms. You're doing it as an indigenous designer who is speaking out against, you know, true atrocities. And that's not easy. There's a reason that you're the only one that's being heard. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to hear this. So I think that that's really fucking awesome. Would you just kind of speak a little bit about, you know, the different barriers to entry to prevent people like you from making it to where you are? Um, Yeah, I think the barriers to entry are just innumerable (laughs) um for people i you know i'm really privileged in the way like i grew up in a city and um, i had an opportunity to come to new york my parents have jobs um i have all my parents you know i they support me with like high fives not really financially (laughs) (laughs) just as important if not more so (laughs) i can relate (laughs) it is you know like they were at my show in santa fe my dad and, and my mom came to my show in toronto and so those all put me so far ahead of like a kid maybe that's on the res or something like that or has grown up in a different situation and one thing that I realized will never change in the society that we live in today is that money is all that matters um, yeah. when it comes to trying to start your business or do any of this stuff if you have money mm-hmm. you are worlds and worlds and worlds ahead of people who don't. And I see this in like people I've worked with before who the first camera they bought is the most expensive camera that you can get where like another kid will work 10 years just to afford that. Mm-hmm. So when we're talking about the timelines and and we're talking about our ages or whatever and like where we should be at a certain age, it's completely different for each person. And it's all based on, on you know, like whatever random factors. But I think like just as far as indigenous representation in the fashion industry, there was none when I was growing up. So I tried so hard to fit into a mold that was like uh, this European male, you know, mold but because that's all I saw in the magazines. And, um, and then I just, it took me so long to realize that the only way that my work will have significance and importance is if it comes from me and my stories, um, Mm -hmm. that I'm not trying to fit into somebody else's mold anymore. And as soon as I realized that, like, literally like, fuck it, I'm doing what I want. 
is when all this stuff started happening and people started paying attention to what I was doing. And I've always been quite political in my work. Um, I've always spoke truth to power in my work. Um, I've had friends tell me I would be more successful if I was less political. I've had people ask me how tight are my morals on ethical labor if they mm. wanted to start something and, and wanted my help. You know, I've had so much of this overarching thing of like, these people see fashion and think that if you're a designer, you automatically have money. Or they think if you have followers, you automatically have money. And like, I have all mm -hmm. these successes. And the problem is that they're visual successes. And I'm so proud of them. But the flip side to that is that I live in capitalism and working as a sustainable designer where I literally do everything myself is not conducive to surviving in this world because we're so obsessed with hustle culture here. And I work so hard every single day, but it's not all just selling products to people and selling garbage to people in order to continue to build myself up. And one thing that I always say is that the detriment of many is not worth the success of one. And the entire fashion industry is built on exploitation of labor and resource extraction. So it's beyond difficult to, to become like a part of this industry. And it's so funny that you brought up CFDA because um, I really do like to push back against these institutions who I um, think are just really missing growth or whatever by including indigenous designers. Um, CFDA had us come on and do some panel event. And I said uh, in the event that I think the CFDA just realized that we still exist in 2022 <laughs> is that the Council of Fashion Designers of America has no indigenous representation and never has. Wow. Anna Wintour's fucking Bob just went flying. Yeah, but, but it's like when you're growing up and you think this isn't right, this isn't right. You know what I mean? And then you're like, that's dumb. That's and then you're like, wait a minute, I can actually say something. And if I have the opportunity to, I'm going to say something. And I've said before, you know, I get invited to these very bougie rooms or all this like fancy stuff. Um, and I have no interest in making people feel comfortable. You know, I really want to create something and if it's not a financial success, then I hope I leave some other kind of legacy behind me. And I hope it's more than just clothes and shoes. Patties, I know that you're tired of cycling through the endless amount of trending skincare products that all claim to smooth wrinkles, firm skin, and give you youthful glow but they don't really deliver results at the end of the bottle. I know that y'all know about this and I know that y'all know which ingredients are gonna work for you because that's what we do on the True Beauty Podcast, right? We inspect our products to make sure that they have the great ingredients that we need to have all of those beautiful things. And support for today's podcast episode comes from OneSkin, which was founded by a team of female PhD level longevity scientists come through female PhD level longevity scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. Y'all know that's who you want to create your beauty products. So after testing thousands of peptides, they discovered the S1 peptide, which is scientifically proven to target age cells, which we also know are called sentient cells, which are the main source of aging and actually reduces the biological age of skin by several years. Y'all, their flagship product, the OS1 Face, is clinically validated to improve firmness, fine lines, and overall tone and appearance. And I took a look at these ingredients. I know that they do what they claim because it has incredible omegas. Y'all learned about the incredible things that omegas do for our bodies in our mega episode. They're full of peptides, antioxidants, all of the things that you know our skin needs to thrive and be beautiful and, you know, helps you to age like a fine wine. So leveraging their in-house cutting-edge R&D platform, our beauty body scientists were able to measure the efficacy of age reversal molecules in their lab. So by treating aged skin, one skin scientists found that the OS1 peptide reverses skin's biological age by reducing the number of zombie cells by up to 50%. Love this for us. So, One Skin is for everyone who wants to prevent or reverse the signs of aging with a groundbreaking approach. One Skin addresses skin health at the molecular level, targeting the root causes of aging so skin behaves 
feels and appears younger. I told you that I love One Skin because it's scent free. It's great for my sensitive skin. I can add it to the routine that I'm already doing. So it's not like I have to throw everything out and start over. And I told you, I gave this to my friend, their OSO1 uh, under eye cream, and they love it. They are looking and feeling fantastic. And if I'm going to use something on myself and then also give it to a friend, I've got to give it to the baddies as well. So y'all can get 15% off OneSkin with code TRUEBEAUTY at oneskin.co. It's time for you to experience a new skin health routine at a discounted rate today. Get 15% off with code TRUEBEAUTY at oneskin.co. Y'all, I'm going to say it one more time. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code TRUEBEAUTY. We only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it better. So age healthy with one skin. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. All right, beauty baddies, y'all know that I'm a cannabis queen and I am so excited about this week's sponsor for the True Beauty Podcast via Hemp Company. So I know I just said that I'm a cannabis queen and that's true, but I honestly am not a big fan of edibles. I don't know. They just generally give a different type of, you know, body high. And I'm more about just finding ways to focus my creativity, focus my energy and really just, you know, calm down enough to get all the things that I need done. So for that reason, I like to be very in control of my cannabis use. And you don't usually get that with edibles. And so honestly, I was pretty excited when they sent me this beautiful box of different types of infused gummies that are each crafted to provide a specific blend and ratio of cannabinoids, allowing you to personalize your cannabis journey and be on top of your game. Isn't that exactly what I just said that I needed? I was thrilled when I opened up this box. High Love is one of their signature gummies, and it's engineered to invigorate blood flow and uplift romantic experiences. Pairing aphrodisiac herbs with a mild amount of THC helps the High Love gummies work their magic. All right, y'all, I'm not going to lie, I didn't necessarily use that gummy, but I did use their Elevate, which has Delta 9 plus CBG, and I also used their Flow State, which has CBG and CBD. So I loved both of these. I took one when I was taking a train to go and visit my sister and I'm not great at travel because I'm usually too anxious to get any work done but I really wanted to work on some true beauty things and so I took the flow state before I knew it I was on my computer working away and it really helped the time pass which was awesome honestly I'm not gonna lie I brought a couple of these different gummies to give to my sister because I love her so much and by the end of the weekend I was like I'm gonna send you some different ones because these ones that I brought for you turns out that I love so I sent her home with the zen gummies but I also have here dreams I have cloud nine I have the high love which I was just talking to you about and I encourage you just try whatever you like what I love about this also is that they tell you on the back like how much concentration each gummy has so you can kind of figure out what works best for you and you know I was able to figure out how many gummies I needed because y'all know like I just said I'm a cannabis queen that got me to the place that I just felt great I was working hard and I didn't feel too you know high (laughs) so all of the products are third-party lab tested They're gluten-free, vegan, and non-GMO. And I love this because Via Hemp Gummies can be purchased in all 50 states and shipped discreetly to your door. So, y'all, if you want to jump on board, try these incredible gummies, you heard it here first, head to viahemp.com and use the code TRUEBEAUTY to receive 15% off and get one free sample on any order. That is V-I-I-A. H-E-M-P dot com and use code TRUEBEAUTY to receive 15% off and get one free sample on any order. Try it out. (laughs) 
you are in such a unique position and it's fucking awesome that you've taken it kind of like into your own hands. Mm-hmm. You could just kind of go with the flow. You could. It would be easier, right? Like, yeah, but you're not. And I really respect that. Yeah, thank you. I actually just got kicked out of a millionaire's party. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my okay. God. That is an accomplishment. It's just like not who I want to be around. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to kiss somebody's feet. And just because they have money, I just don't think that that is a, something that makes you better than me or this person or this person. Okay, so here's the thing that is so interesting with the arts, right? Is that art is created by the outsiders. Art is created by people who are looking at society and they have something to say about it. And the people who collect art are the people that we're talking shit about because they've got the money. And mm-hmm. so art wouldn't exist without people like you. And I think that that's what's the most interesting is that they want you, I'm speaking out of turn maybe, but they want you in their crew because you are rocking the boat. You're making things interesting. You're making people think. And that's what makes art. So I love that you're continuing to push forward because that's what pushes the culture forward. That's what makes things cool. That's what makes things art. And since we're talking about that now, let's talk about fast fashion because I think that this is one and the same, right? It's this idea of taking something that is that somebody puts so much thought into to create an idea, to create a vibe, let's say. And then enough people pick up on the vibe that it becomes a moment. But then once it gets too far and the moment's lost, fast fashion comes in, Shein comes in, Zara comes in. I don't know if I think that Forever 21 went bankrupt, but they come in and they take this idea that once meant so much and they turn into nothing. And then that nothing gets piled into garbage bags and it's destroying our earth. So I would kind of love if we can kind of talk about both of these ideas, maybe in one or if I'm being a little bit too meta, but I think that they're, I think that they're very much the same idea. Yeah, I think it is. It's so interesting. Well, one, fast fashion is a huge um, perpetrator of stealing um, designs from small artists. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we don't have the power to do anything to fight it. Um, That's something that happens all the time. Um, I'm 37 years old. I remember before fast fashion, right? I remember when Forever 21 came into the mall where I grew up Mm -hmm. and like how exciting it was. And it's just so interesting that we continue to think that we've created this world that we cannot change when fast fashion hasn't really been around that long. Mm -hmm. And we have to change what we're doing because it is so, so detrimental, not only to the environment, but to us as human beings. The U.S. itself throws away 11.3 million tons of textile waste every year. 11.3 million tons of textile waste. I fucking believe it. Everything everyone buys is just disposable. It's a statistic that 2,150 pieces of clothing are thrown away each second. Oh, my God. uh, You know, thanks to the Marie Kondos of the world (laughs) telling everybody (laughs) to just clear out their closets and throw it all away or whatever. Oh, my God. But yeah. And then, you know, speaking back to synthetic fabrics, when we covered that a lot, you know, Synthetic fabrics are totally made from, they're the super user of fossil fuels, which Mm, is like mm -hmm. the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So anything that you have in a store that's acrylic, nylon, polyester, spandex, any of those things are all made from fossil fuels. Oh no, so much spandex. It's crazy. and But the entire story is just nuts. So like the fashion industry now accounts for about 10% of like our total carbon emissions. Um, which is a lot, 10%, 10%, 10%, which is more than the entire airline industry combined. Oh my God. And the entire, and the entire shipping industry combined. So we, the fashion industry, which is the second largest industry in the world is producing 10% of global carbon emissions. And that's all for the like global West consumption, right? Oh my God. It's sick. Sorry. I didn't hear these stats before. This is very upsetting. I love fashion. Oh, it's insane. I'm obsessed with fashion. I love it so much. But I mean, obviously, right? <laughs> you literally dedicated <laughs> your life. <laughs> I know. It's it's a wild. Uh, so like, but okay. So also like textile um, production is, uh, I think it's responsible for 20% of global clean water pollution. So, and that's just from like dying and finishing products and, and also 20%. washing synthetic materials in um, water. So which all end up in our ocean, which are now like inside of our bodies. 
Oh, my God. Because if we eat anything that comes from the ocean, now it's internalized. But the thing that's so, so, so wild about this is like we as human beings created this monster Mm -hmm. because we wanted to make the luxury of fashion, which was only afforded by a few, which is a very exclusive thing into something that was for the people. Right. So Mm -hmm. that's how fast fashion became so prevalent. But it it just took off into this place now where the, it feels like there's no return and we're literally drowning in our own clothes. And and I, as much as I am hopeful that it is changing, companies like Shine or Shin or however you pronounce it are absolutely detrimental to us. They are creating like 5,000 new styles a day. Oh my God. The hell? One of my best friends has a kid that's 14 and he comes to work with me sometimes and hang out in the studio and talks to me about high school where it's all about micro trends, how something will Mm -hmm. be popular for a week and then nobody will wear it again. And it's all because these markets, these fast fashion markets are targeting these kids at prices that they can afford. So they know that they'll continue to make money because if they can price something for $5, a high school kid can afford it. And if you think about tracking that back to the price of the materials, the cost, how much do you think the cost of labor is coming? If you are buying something in the global West that was made in the East, that's coming to you all the way from like Bangladesh or whatever, mm-hmm. and you buy it for $5, that's not uh, fair labor. It's not sustainable. No part of it is sustainable. Mm-mm. I mean, I was wow. just thinking like, as you were saying that, how it's all just like a fucked up cycle because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I think of like, I shop a lot secondhand, like whether it's for furniture, whether it's for clothes. And I started doing that in high school just because that's what was affordable to me. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of stuck with it because also in my 20s, that's what was affordable to me. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember a dress from Forever 21 was still more than I could really spend. Mm -hmm. Because it's still not cheap. It's still like Forever 21, it would still be like 50 bucks for a sweater, which is like not a a shit ton comparatively, but it's not nothing either. Mm -hmm. Totally. And especially being young, like paying rent for the first time, like I... That was a luxury. So I stuck with buying secondhand stuff and, you know, moving to Brooklyn, it was actually easy. We have great stores to buy secondhand clothes. And it wasn't until I was a little older that I realized like, oh, not only is this like good for me and my like money situation, but it's really sustainable because Mm -hmm. maybe in my later 20s, I started learning about brands that were not fast fashion. However, it wasn't something I could afford. And of course, I understand the high price points, um, but that's also the fucked up cycle that we're in. You yes. know, like most people cannot comfortably afford those items. What I try to do now is I'll still shop secondhand and then, you know, save up and kind of be like, OK, what's like the one, you know, piece that I'll buy this season or something that's maybe a dress from a brand that is super sustainable. And I try to do yeah. my research because I know some brands claim to be mm-hmm. sustainable and yeah. they're not. And they're still yeah. really expensive. <laughs> yeah, and, greenwashing is like absolutely mm-hmm. just taken off and to, because sustainability is now a marketing tactic. So it's the same with skincare. Oh, yeah. When I think about like the laws and stuff around skincare and beauty, I start freaking it's sick. out. <laughs> it's wild. Specifically about what you're saying, vegan leather is a perfect example of greenwashing. You hear oh vegan God. leather and you mm-hmm. think that you're doing something good for the environment. It's, it's plastic. plastic. It's literally plastic. It's literally plastic. Polyurethane. Yeah. Pleather. Remember pleather was a word yes. and then it got changed? Yes, to yeah. vegan leather. And do you know how yeah. much longer leather, real <laughs> leather will actually last? Like if you take care of it, real leather will actually last you a lifetime. Whereas vegan leather lasts you like one season if not yeah i buy secondhand leather purses that were made 40 years ago that are still in great shape like Mm -hmm. yes crazy i don't know it's all just fucked up and it all just comes back to the bigger picture of our country and the world i think okay so i want to talk to you about this first karina and see what your opinion is is Mm -hmm. and that's circular fashion So circular fashion is this idea of exactly what Alex is talking about. It's basically just thrifting, but it has a fancy, sexy new name. But companies like The Real Real, I love. Like I I try the same as Alex, really hard to only buy clothes secondhand. And I really honestly only shop at The Real Real at this point. And when I tell people this, like, oh, I go in The Real Real, but it's still like an Hermes bag for $30,000. Bitch, I will tell you the secrets. Because you can (laughs) shop at The Real Real and still pay 
you know, um, fast fashion prices. Like I don't buy shirts for more than $20. All of my silk equipment shirts are $20 each. You just need to know how to use the site. So with that being said, The Real Real had some real bad press this week. (laughs) Wait, what happened? Well, it's just about how like selling through their site is such a pain in the ass, which is true. And it's a lot of it is like for the investors to get like the money, whatever. And not necessarily bad in terms of sustainability, more in terms of like the business end. But I'm curious, Mm -hmm. Karina, please don't break my heart. I want to know, is this truly a company that we can get behind? Are they secretly terrible? Because it is still fashion. It is still fashion. And because I also sell it back. Do you know what I mean? When I'm done with something, I sell it back to the real real and I like trade it in so that I continue to kind of like get a new influx of clothes. And I really, like I said, I try not to buy new. So if you have any thoughts, I would love to hear them. I mean, I love that. I love that mode. I also, you know, grew up only wearing thrifted clothes. Um, I'm also the youngest of three. So I'm very like comfortable with like the, the like secondhand idea. I can't speak to real, real like specifically, but I think that it kind of just goes back into this idea that once we kind of start really uh, like over consuming stuff, it becomes harmful. So maybe that's where the frustration is coming from for the sellers. Um, I actually used to work in high-end consignment back in the day. Uh, Shout out to Roundabout, who are in Connecticut and New York. Roundabout. That sounds familiar. Yeah, the real, real shut down a couple of our stores. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, because it was the first online consignment. So it was like such a big deal when it came out. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody moved their consignment to, you know, to do the online one. And then, yeah, I don't know. I use Poshmark. I don't know. Maybe that's old school. Well, same idea. I do too. I kind of wonder, and I do use Poshmark, I use Depop, but I do try to be mindful of just wondering like, okay, I'm buying secondhand, but these things are being shipped sometimes from across the country. And I'm like, what's the sustainability factor on that? You know, well, girl, compared to all of the waste, it's like at least you're getting something that's going to be like living. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but like we're humans. We've got to give ourselves grace. Do you know what I mean? Like you got to (laughs) live. We we can only do the best that we can do. Also, this is a part of their plan. (laughs) And by they, I mean the top 100 corporations in the world (laughs) is to put uh, all the pressure on us as individuals. Yes, for things that they the are responsible for. It's not a don't worry about your shipping. You know, the 10% of the global carbon emissions are from the fashion fashion industry more than shipping and airline combined. Do you, like, so all these things that we're beating ourselves up about thinking that we can't change it. The thing is, is that it's not our responsibility to change it. It is the top yes. 100 companies' responsibility to change it. So we have to stop shaming each other for trying to just live and survive in a world that we're living in. So like, I would never get mad at somebody for buying something that they could afford. I would never say, you can't shop there if it's the only store in like a hundred mile radius. They got to go to Walmart. I don't care. It's not about us. Yeah. It's about them. And how it's affecting us. Sorry, somebody else recently told me this and I forgot how true it is until you just said it because... Yes. Why am I worried about leaving my fucking outlet, my little thing plugged in? Because turns out that's so bad for the environment when exactly mm-hmm. Kylie Jenner's throwing going in 30 minute fucking private jet things and the top 10 yeah. percent of people. You know, you're absolutely right. Like, Dude, let me live. They got us with the straws. <laughs> they got us with the fucking straws. Right. Yeah. I mean, all those things are important. You know, it's sure. all important, but it's definitely it's, yeah, it's bread and circuses. Right. They're like, oh, look over here. Well, we pour oil in the ocean and the ocean's on fire. It's now. crazy. They're like, we're going to distract everyone for a minimum of two months with the whole straw debacle. That'll be that'll get them <laughs> for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what that's one thing I also say. You know, we, we talk a lot about you cannot buy sustainability. So if people are trying to sell you sustainability, that is just like the opposite yeah. of what sustainability is. And I say, Absolutely. I do not sell. I do not sell sustainability. My work, I work in sustainable practices and you can support that practice. But I'm not trying to sell you some sustainability. I choose to use sustainability in my work and you can support that. I love this. I love that. I used to live in a house with a bunch of people in Bushwick back when I was in my 20s. And we would organize once a month, uh, basically like a flea market, but it was a free market. And everyone would just bring stuff that they didn't want anymore. And we'd lay it out and people could take stuff for free. And we would do it with food. We would like dumpster food and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that that's like a perfect way to live in any way, but it felt really nice to like not have money as part of the scenario and to have like our own mini like trade economy. 
Aww. Yeah, bartering. You know, even if it was just once a month. Yeah, <laughs> it was that. so nice. We'd have um, services that were free also, like people would offer, you know, acupuncture or whatever. But it was just really cool. And I'm like, it can be done. You'd have to have literally everyone on board. Well, this is why community is so important. You know, one of the reasons I'm sure that we all love living in New York, you said it perfectly with the Flatbush, is like these tiny communities. And like from an outsider looking in, it just looks like we're a bunch of ants running around and everybody's in their own little life. But that's not true. It's like we all create these communities, whether it's physical, whether it's digital, whether it's two people, five people, a block and, and neighborhood. But like they're here. And that's why the city is so fucking awesome. And that's why it survived so many years. I always make this joke. You could be a racist, but if you're a New Yorker at the end of the day, bitch, you're my neighbor. You're like, let's get through this shit together. If somebody's coming after us, we forget everything else except that we're all New Yorkers. Let's link up. Let's go. And I can't really say that a lot about a lot of other cities. So I think that what you're saying is absolutely right, Alex, is it starts with like these small communities. It starts with like small groups of people doing these things that amount to bigger things. Rather than exactly what you're saying, these corporations making us feel like, oh, well, it's just on you. It's just on you. And really, it's on them. But if they're not going to do it, we can take some of the power. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.